It is a nice day today. You know, I was walking outside and I was like, praise the Lord. It's my face doesn't freeze off as soon as I step out. You know, it's been getting warmer. Things have been good. You know, our sister Lisa was up here leading the praise, uh, the praise reports. And I know maybe for some of you who are new or maybe you've been coming out for a while and you're like, why is she so excited? You know, why is she so excited? I remember in middle school, there was this girl by the name of Kathleen in our, well, no, it's high school. And I remember Kathleen, she was always smiling, always so happy, always. And after a while, I was just like, what, what's wrong with you? Why are you always so happy? And then I found out she was a Christian and I found out she knew the Lord. And I found out that she was, she walked with the Lord and that she lived with him and that she had relationship with him and a person who lives with and has vibrant relationship with God. They just look alive. That's the thing about Lisa. When she's up here, she looks alive. Some of y'all, you like, she looks too alive for me, (laughs) but I think you just need a little bit of that life that she's carrying. You know, you ain't got to take no drugs. You ain't got to drink yourself you know, to sleep or whatever, to feel alive. You don't have to jump off of a building or go thrill-seeking to feel alive. You can do it just by coming to know Jesus. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, meaning not just that you are breathing. Some of us think that, you know, I'm alive. Okay, I got up this morning. My heart's still working. I can hear. I can walk. I'm good. I'm good. I can breathe. I'm alive. Just because you can breathe doesn't mean you're living. Jesus wants you to be fully alive. That's not what I'm talking about today. But I just felt that on my heart. I felt that was for a few people here. Maybe you've been feeling like your life's just been dead. But God wants to give you life. I think every human being on this earth is walking around searching for life. Even though we are alive, walking around and searching for something that will give us that feeling of being alive. And there's only one person who can do it, and it's Jesus. With that said, I want you to just turn to your neighbor and just tell them, hey, be alive. (laughs) Wake up. Today, I want to talk to you about the topic, ask your father. Ask your father. Ask your father. That was something I never heard growing up because I didn't know my father until I was 13. And so when I go to my mom and ask her for something, she would never say, you know, go ask your father. She would just say, no. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I would watch the sitcoms. I'd watch, you know, Family Matters and. I don't know. I can't even remember the rest of them. The only one that sticks out to me is Family Matters. I think that's because my family called me Urkel. They were cruel. (laughs) Do not call me that after service. But, you know, I watch all these things on TV, and I'd always notice the kids would run up to their their mom and be like, hey, mom, can I have this? And the mom would always say, ask your father. And then they go and ask their father. And uh, it was just something that really... I never heard growing up, but it's something that God wants to impart to us today. And so I want to talk to you about that topic. But before I go any further, bow your heads with me. I just want to say a word of prayer for each one of us here. Father, I thank you for every person. I thank you for every person here. Whether they know what it means to walk with you or not, I thank you that you created them. I thank you that you love them. I thank you, God, that you desire for their life to be one that is full of wisdom, full of your abundant life, God. And so, Lord, I pray for every person that's here. I lift them up to you, God. I break off anything that's been hindering them, any heaviness, any depression, any pain, anything, God, that they walked in here with, God. I pray that they would leave different. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would move in this place and that you would begin to work in our hearts today. So, God, I just command an openness in our hearts. Beyond what we would consider to be cultural or religious Christianity, God, we thank you that you are real. And so, God, would you make yourself real through the words that are preached today? Every person here, God, I pray you break off all cynicism or apathy, any lies of the devil that may be telling people condemning thoughts. I break that off right now. I pray, God, open our hearts. We love you in your name. Amen. Here at New Philly, we are 
we have just begun 2014. Every year we have a, a particular theme. And 2014 for us is the year of wisdom. And last year for us was the year of inspiration. And I don't know about you, but for me, I felt like 2013 was God showing me how much I really need inspiration. How much I walk around not inspired. And so when I heard that it was 2014, the year of wisdom, part of me was kind of like, oh, no. (laughs) Every message is going to be me feeling like, dang, I am not wise. Dang, I need to grow in that. And, you know, true to form, Pastor Christian preaches the first message about make the most of every opportunity. And I'm listening to that message and I'm thinking, dang it, I do not do that. And then Pastor Aaron, she preaches a message called Overcoming Procrastination because we're talking about wisdom in the area of time. Overcoming procrastination. As soon as I heard it, I knew it was going to be a bad day. I hear it. I'm taking notes. I'm like, yeah, this is good. This is good. I got to get over procrastination if I want to have a good life. (laughs) And then... As a leadership, what we have to do as a leadership is we encourage our leaders in order to stay unified is after we hear a message from the lead pastors, we go on Facebook and we put a comment under the message that's been preached about what we've been processing, any questions we have, how we're learning. And it helps to keep our community unified. And it's something that all our leaders are required to do. And so I hear this message overcoming procrastination. And I'm like, yes. As soon as the message is over, I'm going to go online. I'm going to go to Facebook. I'm going to put comment about how this message has, I'm free from procrastination. And I'm procrastinating. In fact, I'm still procrastinating. I got to do it. I will do it. Hey, don't judge me. We are all on that journey of growing in wisdom. But today I want to talk to you about a key. And some of you are thinking, wait, he just said something really unwise. How's he going to talk to us about wisdom? Well, I got the mic. I want to talk to you about a key in growing in wisdom. I want to talk to you about a key in receiving wisdom. Because if God is saying to us in this hour, we need to grow in wisdom, then we also need to learn how to position our hearts to actually receive wisdom. Because we can hear a message about overcoming procrastination, making the best use of time, or how to be wise in our relationships, how to be wise with our physical health. But if our hearts are not positioned in the right place, it doesn't matter how wealth, the wealth of information we receive, we will not arrive at that place of walking in wisdom. So I'm going to help you out. Because I love you. I want to talk to you about a key to walk in wisdom, because wisdom is so important. You can have all the finances in the world, but if you don't have wisdom, it'll just fall through your fingers. I read this statistic that 44% of all lottery ticket winners go broke within the first five years. That astounded me. I was like, how do you do that? Like, you know, if you win the lotto, like I'm set for life. No, you're set for five years. Uh, 70, uh, this other statistic says that 78% of NFL That's professional football, professional American football, for you guys who use different terms. They make millions and millions of dollars, right? Over the course of their careers, they make almost $100 million. 78% of them go broke within the first five years. 78, 80% go broke. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of money. They go broke within the first five years. Many of us think, if if I had more money, God, I'd be able to do what I need to do if I just had more money. But these players, they make so much money, and five years later, they are broke. Sixty Over 60% of NBA basketball players go broke within the first five years. Crazy. They make all of this money. They have all this wealth of resources, but they don't have wisdom, so they go broke within the first five years. Actually, most of them, they end up being emotionally broke because their relationships are hindered because of the finances. They're mentally, many of them are very broken, and then physically they give their body to it, so they're broke. 
And as I was thinking about those statistics, it just broke this lie in me that many of us think that if I just had more emotional or more, more information about or my emotional health or my physical health or I just had more money, I would be able to prosper. So just give me wisdom about all of those areas. But still and yet, you can have all of that and lose it all if you don't have wisdom. So how do we get wisdom? Where do we get wisdom from? How does God intend for us to receive wisdom? I want you to open up your Bibles. We're going we're gonna to jump around a lot today. I want you to turn to Proverbs. And we're going to look at... We're going to look at three chapters. We're not going to read all the chapters. We're going to just look through. If you don't have a Bible, look, look alongside the person next to you. Proverbs 2, 3, and 4. And we're just going to look at a few verses in each one of these. And I think you're going to notice a pattern. It's a pattern that continues all throughout the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 2. We're going to read verses one. We're going to read verse one, Proverbs two, one. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, right, making your ear attentive to wisdom, if you call out, we'll skip down. It says, verse five, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Chapter three, my son, verse one, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. They will add to you. Skip down to verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Skip over to chapter four. I hope you're noticing a pattern. I'm I'm doing this on purpose. Chapter four, verse one. Here. O sons, a father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I, your father, give you, my son, good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me. He said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments. And live. Verse 10. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in paths of righteousness. You can look on throughout Proverbs. You'll see this refrain throughout it very frequently. My son, my son, my son, my son, hear from your father, hear my words, my son, my son, my son. And that is because the book of Proverbs, we know that most of it was written by Solomon, who is known to be the wisest man in all the earth. And it was written as a father to a son. It was written as a father to a son because a father had had so much wisdom and so much experience in his life. And he wanted to impart it to his children so that his children would not make the same mistakes that he did. And actually, the book of Proverbs, the way that it was used in the the Jewish culture was that a spiritual father, a rabbi, a leader, a church leader would sit there with a group of his disciples and they would go through the book of Proverbs and he would speak to them as a father speaks to his sons. My son. My son, and then they would listen and they would dialogue and it would go back and forth in this context of father to son. What am I getting at? Some of you are like, okay, that's cool. What am I talking about? If you want to grow in wisdom, you need to start opening up your heart to the father's words. If you want to grow in wisdom in this year, you got to start opening up your heart, not just to God, the father, but to the spiritual fathers and mothers, the spiritual leadership that God has placed over your life. A lot of us have a lot of trouble with this, but we see this throughout the Bible that that Jesus, when he came, his primary ministry as the son of God was to restore us unto God as sons. Romans eight. You have not received the spirit of slavery to fall into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. 
by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4 says the same thing. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And the whole point of Proverbs, the whole point of gaining wisdom in this book is to push the people of God to look to their spiritual leaders for wisdom. And it happens in this father-son kind of dynamic. Now, for me, this is something that God is speaking, has been speaking to me personally this year. As soon as the year of wisdom started, as soon as I started hearing this, I started going to my prayer closet. And I was praying, and I was just communing with the Lord and praying with God. And all of a sudden, God started bringing up memories of my father. Like I said, I didn't meet my father until I was 13. He was only around for two years. He was only around for two years, and in that time, we only met twice. The rest of the time, he would call me, but very infrequently, and it would be very short. And then after that, when I was 15, I never saw him again. I found out when I was 21 that my father, I thought he lived in Ohio, but I found out later on that he had actually moved back to North Carolina. He didn't live too far away, but he didn't want me to know. I grew up with this life of never knowing a father's voice. And I was in prayer and God just began to bring up memories of my father. And I'm like, God, I don't have many memories. But all of a sudden, these memories start coming up about my father. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? Why are you bringing this up? I've already forgiven him. I've already moved on. I'm done with this area of my life. But God said, no, 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 Marcus, you don't understand. Your issues with your father affect you much more than you think. they do. Your issues with your parents affect you much more than you think you do, than you think they do. And I was like, nah, nah, really? And then all of a sudden he said, well, you know, Marcus, the way that you think about your father is the way you think about your spiritual father. And the way you think about your spiritual father is the way that you think about me. And I was like, okay. All right, I see where you're going. He said, Marcus, if you want to grow in wisdom in this year, you need to start learning how to deal with the orphan spirit. Here at New Philly, we, this, we, you've heard us talk about, if you've been here long enough, you've heard us talk about the orphan spirit. And I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about some spirit or some demonic spirit that resides on you, but really this lifestyle, this mindset, this heart posture that we take on whenever we've been rejected. This aspect of living that causes us to forsake fatherly wisdom and forsake fatherly teaching and instead go on our own path. To live in such a way in which we feel like we're out on our own, we are our own masters, and we have to take care of ourselves in order to survive. An orphan spirit. And the book of Proverbs is all about this father-son dynamic because in order for you to grow in wisdom, you have to start relating to God and to your spiritual leaders as a son relates to their father. For some of this, this is a touchy topic. For some of you, your fathers were great. Your fathers took you out to the ba- the baseball game. They showed you how to manage their manage your money. They were fantastic. They taught you how to swim. You know, I learned how to swim about three years ago. You know who taught me how to swim? Pastor Christian. It was funny. It was really funny and kind of awkward. <laughs> it was a huge swimming pool. And all these little kids are like learning how to swim. And I'm like right beside them. And I'm like, <laughs> He's like, I got you. I got you. I got you. My spiritual father taught me how to swim. The orphan spirit has to be dealt with if you want to grow in wisdom this year. Because if not, it doesn't matter how many sermons are preached. It doesn't matter how much tickles your ear. You won't obey it and you won't live by it. Unless you deal with the orphan spirit. So let's go through. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna give you three points about the orphan spirit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you three questions. 
And I want you to write these questions down. I want you to think about these questions as I ask, because these are three questions that will show whether or not you're relating in an orphan spirit. The first question, let's let's keep moving. The first question. When you have decisions to make in your life, who do you talk to? When things happen in your life and you have a decision that you need to make and something is going on and you need wisdom, who do you talk to? Who do you call? See, our generation is a generation that has been fathered by our peers. And so in the in the moments where we need wisdom and in the moments where we need to make a decision, the first person we call usually is not our spiritual authority. The first person we call is not usually our pastor or our parents. The first person we call is usually our girlfriend. Hey, girl. If you call anyone at all. And actually, we see this in society, even as apart from the church, because, you know, we see gangs. Gang activity is all fatherless kids, kids who come from broken homes, and they all gravitate to one particular place together, and they govern themselves as a gang. Social media, MTV, movies, entertainment. We are a generation that has been fathered by what we watch on television, what we see on our phone, and what we listen to. We are a generation that's been fathered by our peers and not by fathers. And some of you are thinking, like, where is he getting this? Where is this coming from? But you have to recognize that if that's the way you've been living, that's an orphan spirit. I want you to turn to 1 Kings 12. There's a there's an example of this in the Bible of a guy who, who was meant to seek the counsel of those spiritual leaders and those who are over him, but instead he sought different counsel and it didn't end up well. 1 Kings 12. We'll go over the story of Rehoboam. In fact, the beginning of it, it's called Rehoboam's folly, Rehoboam's foolishness, if you have your Bible. I'll give you some background. Rehoboam, he was the son of Solomon. I just mentioned Solomon earlier as being the wisest man. The Bible says that he was the wisest man who ever lived. You can imagine if I'm the, if I'm the son of the wisest man who's ever lived, I'm doing all right, right? So this guy, he becomes king and and he, he becomes king, and one of the first things that happens for him is dad has passed away. And we see verse 2, well, verse 3, that Rehoboam is now king. And they sent and called him in the assembly of Israel, Jeroboam, and all the assembly of Israel, all the people that he is to rule over, all the people that he is to govern, they come to him. And they say, check it out, your father Solomon, he was a great dude, really wise, but he made our yoke really heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us. And check it out, Rehoboam, we will serve you. We will do whatever you ask. You know what? You want us to build something? We'll build it. You want us to wash your feet? We'll do it. We got you. If you'll just lighten the load for us a bit. And Rehoboam, you know, he wants to sound wise. So he's like, you know what? Just give me three days and I'll get back to you. Right? That sounds wisdom. Don't make a hasty decision. And then the people went away. Verse 6, then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men, right? The old men, the men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was still alive. Meaning the men who had served under the wisdom of Solomon. The men who had walked in that wisdom, who had gleaned that wisdom. He's under them and he goes to them and he says, hey, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to advise these people? And the old guys, they get together. They remember Solomon. They remember how wise he is. And they're like, check it out. Yeah, they had a tough time. Just lighten it for them a bit. They're going to be, they're going to have your back forever. Be their servant as their leader. They will have your back forever. That's what they say. If you will be a servant to these people today and serve them, speak good words to them, they will be your servant forever. But verse eight, what does he do? But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. There's this saying, old school, new school. I heard, once heard this pastor, Dr. Kirby Clemens, say there's no such thing as old school, new school. There's only old school, new students. 
But many of us think, you know what? I don't need the wisdom of everyone else. If I need wisdom, I'll just go to my friends. I'll just go to my chingus. I'll just go to my, the people that know me. They understand me. They know my heart. We grew up together. They know how to speak into my life. Pastor, you don't know. You don't know me. You don't know me. And so he goes to his friends and his friends say, hey, check it out, Rehoboam. They don't know who you are. They, they got a heavy yoke. Give them an even heavier yoke. You know who you are. You're Rehoboam. You need to show them that you're the boss, right? Because that's usually the counsel that we get from our friends. You're having a tough time. They're like, oh, th- th- you're too good for him. You're too good for that. I can't believe that happened to you. Anytime we got friends that we go to in our problems, they get down in our pit. They don't pull us out. And so they go to Rehoboam and, and they say, you know what? Lighten it? No, you should tell them to make the yoke even heavier. And so he goes to them and he says, check it out. My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. What kind of pride is that? You know what I'm saying? And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplines you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. It was this self-centered pride and all, and all his friends around him, all they did was continue to sow into it. But what happened, I'll tell you, you don't have to look. What happened after that was that he said this to the people and the people went back to their tents and they rebelled. And they said, you know what? We're never going to serve under David's throne ever again. We're never going to serve under David's kingship ever again. And, and Rehoboam, his, his grandfather was David. And Rehoboam didn't realize that because he went to his friends rather than to the council of his spiritual leaders, he not only had cut himself off from the place of wisdom, but also the generations that would come after. And many of us don't realize that because we don't go to our pastors, we don't go to our leaders, we don't pursue them for wisdom, we don't recognize that what we're doing, the only person we're hurting is ourselves and those to come after us. 1 Corinthians 4.15 says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. The NIV says, For though you have 10,000 teachers, you don't have many fathers. 1 Corinthians 4.15. Doesn't that sound like our generation today? We've got tons of information, tons of stream where we can get information to make our decisions. You know, we've got our career and we're sitting and we feel like, you know, I'm pursuing God. I'm doing what God wants me to do. And then you sit down and you get on Facebook, right? You get on Facebook and then you see the highlight reel of all your friends who don't live in Korea. Oh, snap, my friend in New York, they're making mad money. Oh, my friend in Chicago, they look so like they're having so much fun. My friend in San Francisco, in L.A., man, all I see is them smiling and having so much fun. Here I am sitting in my measly job. It sucks. I want to move. (laughs) That sounds extreme, but many of us struggle with that. We don't realize that Facebook is just a highlight reel of somebody's life. No one takes a picture of them sitting day one. Sitting in front of the computer again. Day two, in front of the computer again. Day three. No one does that. No, it's just a highlight reel. And then we just take from that all the information we want to try and make decisions about our life. Oh, I have a big decision to make. Should I talk to my spiritual leader for wisdom? No, I'll just do all the research on the Internet. My The Internet is my best source. But our generation, we have a wealth of wisdom. We have a wealth of information. We have a wealth of things that can flow into our lives, right? I can go to every single, I can go to Wikipedia. I can go to the encyclopedia. I can go through all things to get all kinds of information. But yet our generation is still the most depressed, the most aimless, the most separated. Why is that? It's because you can have information but not have wisdom. When you have a decision to make, who do you go to? Who do you call? Do you make the decision and then notify your leader after? You know, I've already made this decision just letting you know. As if there's room for wisdom to flow there. There isn't. See, in this year of wisdom, your temptation will be to 
Seek out wisdom from everywhere under the sun and information from everywhere under the sun. But if you don't have a central voice, central spiritual authority that's speaking into your life, all of that will cause nothing but confusion. Who do you run to? The second question. When you succeed, so the first question to distinguish the orphan spirit is when you need to make decisions, who do you go to? The second is when you succeed, who's the first person you tell? Do you find yourself only sharing your failures with your leaders but not your successes? This is something God confronted me on at the beginning of this year. Because he was like, Marcus, you know what? You only come to me when you need something. Marcus, you only go to your spiritual leaders when things are going bad. But when things are going good, yeah, I got this. I don't need you right now, right? On a, on Tuesday, we went down to Busan for our campus pastor's summit. All the campus pastors at New Philly, we all gathered together. And we went and we ate at this buffet called Grand Apple Buffet. If you're down in Busan, eat at that buffet. Okay, just eat there. I don't care what you do. If you don't eat the rest of the trip, eat there. Really good. And then after that, we met together and we hashed out a lot of major decisions for our church. And we did most of our meetings at pastors Mina and Caleb's apartment in Busan. And they are the campus pastors of our seaside campus down in Busan. And they recently had a baby boy named Ethan, Ethan Zion Lee. And he's so cute. Like he's just so round and he doesn't like his like neck muscles haven't formed yet. So he's just like rolling all over the place. But he's so chill. And I learned so much looking at Ethan. Because <laughs> we would be sitting there and Ethan was the most chill baby. He would just sit there, you know, neck not. But he would just sit there all day just like this. And he would never make a sound. He would never make a sound. You would not know that Ethan was there unless He started crying and he only cried for two reasons. If he was, if he had pooed on himself and he was getting tired of sitting in his own poo. Or if he was hungry and he was so hungry that he had to start making some noise. Like, listen, mom, I'm hungry. I'm I'm parched. I need some nourishment. That sounded like a horse. I don't know what that was. (laughs) And I was watching Ethan. I was watching him the whole time because I was looking at him. and I was like, man, doesn't that look like our Christian walk sometimes? We sit there and we never make a sound unless we put on ourselves, unless we've gotten into something and we're kind of tired of sitting in it for too long. And now we need to go to our leader to clean us off. Doesn't it look like our Christian walk sometimes where we only go to God or to our leaders when we are really, when we've let ourselves get to the place where we're struggling and we're dry and now we don't even know if we're a Christian anymore. And that's when we want to go to our leader. But the rest of the time we're completely silent. I felt conviction. Why is it that we only go to the spiritual leaders in our life when we found ourselves in some really deep stuff? Why is it that we only go when we found ourselves to be so dry and so lacking nourishment that then we need someone to speak in? I read this quote by Bill Johnson. He said, He said, many of us, we only go to God for the gifts and the breakthroughs in our time of need or for ministry. And he said, if you only go to God for ministry or for those things you need, that is called professional intimacy. And we have a word for those people who are intimate as a profession. Is that what your relationship with God looks like? Is that what your relationship with your leaders look like? You know who 
It's funny because those people who are intimate as a profession, you know who's the most vulnerable to enter that profession? Orphans. See, the reason this is a problem is because you don't need wisdom to go from bad to good. You know, if you only go to your leader when you're struggling and you're having tough times, then it reduces your relationship with spiritual authority to crisis management. I only need you when I'm having a tough time. The rest of the time, I don't really need you so much. And it reduces the relationship to crisis management. It's like a vending machine. And that kind of relationship can only take you from bad to good, but it can never take you from good to great. I'll give you an example. There was this couple that came out that used to attend our church, uh, Mark and Elizabeth. And they, they were, they're so awesome. And one thing they, they started up this magazine called Rewrite. And when they started it up, they came to me and they said, Pastor Marcus, check it out. We want you to cover. We want you to be the covering. We want you to be the spiritual covering for this magazine. And I was like, cool. I know nothing about writing. I can't help you with anything. But they're like, no, we feel like if you are speaking into it, it's going to be really good. We want you to be our covering. And so they come to me. And then, but I noticed over the course of us formulating it and praying into it and building it up, that they never came to me just when something was wrong. Sure, they came to me. But the times that were the most powerful, the times that were the most creative, the times where I felt God's presence come the most was when they came to me saying, Pastor Marcus, everything is off the hook right now. Everything is so great. Everything is so awesome. But how can we make it better? And that would be all of a sudden, boom, downloads. All of a sudden, heavenly wisdom, heavenly revelation would come into it. Because God is interested in not just managing your crisis. God wants your life to be abundant. But it can't happen if your relationship with him and the leaders is just about managing your crisis. See, God doesn't want to micromanage your weaknesses, and he doesn't want your life to be about micromanaging your weaknesses. He wants it to be about catapulting you into your destiny. And that's how, that's why we need wisdom. That's why we need relationship with our spiritual leaders. Oftentimes for me, I grow the most with my spiritual leaders, not even when I come to them with a question, but when things are good and I just want to, I just want to follow them. I just want to, I take notes. Pastor Christian, when he's leading staff meetings on, I'm, I serve on staff, obviously as a pastor. And when we would have our staff meetings, a lot of times I would just take notes of little things, spiritual nuggets that he would say throughout. Not because I needed it, not because it was I was in a crisis and I needed a word that moment, but because I was hungry for wisdom. And I was like, you know what? Every word that this man of God speaks, I'm not going to let fall to the ground. I'm going to steward it. I'm going to chew on it and I'm going to walk it out. So do you only bring your failures or do you also bring your successes? Do you bring your life? And here's the last question. The last question is. As you heard the first two questions, did you think, well, if my leader was different, then I would be different? As you heard the first two questions about, oh, well, who do I go to for counsel? Well, if my pastor was more available, if I knew him better, if my small group leader, if I just, if they wanted to hang out with me more then. You know why I say this? Because as I was, as I was working through these, these questions, God was confronting me and he was saying, Marcus, who do you go to in, when you need to make a decision? And I realized that so much of last year, I would go to my friends and a lot of my friends are pastors and it's cool. But the trajectory of your life is determined by the people you surround yourself with. And if you surround yourself with only people who are at your level or only people who are at your place of wisdom or even lower, you're not going to grow in wisdom. You're going to digress. 
and I was praying about it. And God was like, Marcus, you go to everyone else but your covering. You go to everyone else but the people who I've placed over you to be channels of wisdom to flow through your life. And then I was like, no, God, I go to them. He said, wait, Marcus, you go to them. But do you go to them when things are good? Or do you only go when you need to get cleaned up? And I was like, oh, okay, okay, you got me. God, you're good. You know a lot. And then, and then my next thought was, you know what? Hey, but God, if my leader were different, if he had more time for me, if he, if his personality was more like this, and he said, you know what, Marcus? There it is right there. That offense, that blame, that's what's preventing you from getting wisdom. We see this with our first parents. We see this with the first sons, Adam and Eve. We see this progression take place. Blame is the last step of the orphan spirit. You start off just making your decisions on your own, only going whenever you need something. And then at the end, you find yourself disillusioned and dissatisfied. So you just catapult blame on your leaders. And that's the last step because it solidifies separation. And we see this in Genesis 3. We see the serpent comes with deception, right? Because he had a, they had a false view of God because of the deception that the serpent brings. And then all of a sudden, Adam and Eve, they sit together and they make a decision on their own. Hey, the serpent said the food's good. So what if the father said don't eat the food? What does he know? The serpent said don't, the serpent said the food's all right. You know what? It looks good. It's probably going to taste good. Let's eat it. And it's not just Eve. People give Eve a, a bad time. It wasn't just Eve. Adam was there. It wasn't like Adam was in another room. They were in a garden. You know, Adam was standing right there. It was a decision that they made together. It was a decision that Adam himself was complacent in. They sat together and they decided, I'm going to make a decision as peers. I'm going to take my spiritual father out of the equation. I'm going to take God out of the equation. I'm going to take the representatives that God has placed in my life for wisdom to flow out of the equation and make the decision on my own because I'm wise enough. And then they make the decision. And what happens? They eat the fruit. Their eyes are open. Shame begins to enter in and they hide. They hide. They hide themselves completely from God. But God, you know, as patient as he is, he walks in. I would have just loved to have seen that. Just God walking into it. And he's like, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? And Adam, he comes out. But you notice Adam comes out and he's not bringing his successes before God. He's only bringing the stuff that he's in because he's stuck now. He's stuck. He's hiding behind a bush. He's stuck. He's in some stuff and he needs to get clean. And he's like, here I am. And, and God asks him, hey, why'd you hide? Two things that keep us from our, from walking in wisdom, pride and fear. From approaching our leaders, pride and fear. It was pride that caused him to make that decision separate from God. And it was fear that caused him to hide. Why did you hide? Well, I was naked and I was afraid. So I hid. And God says, hey, wait. Who told you you were naked? Who told you? And he says, and a lot of times we emphasize the, the woman, right? The woman you gave me. And yes, he blames Eve. But really, he blames God. God, the woman you gave me gave me this fruit and caused me to eat it. And what Adam was saying to God in that moment was, God, you're not as wise as you think. God, really, it's your fault that I'm in this situation. It's your fault. And Adam was walking in an orphan spirit. He didn't realize that he was standing right before his father. He, he could have always came before him. He could have always received everything that he had. He had a wealth of riches in the garden. But because his heart closed to his father, he could not get the wisdom to walk in righteousness. Proverbs 4, it says, the father says to the son, I will lead you in paths of righteousness. That means that when we, we talk about, you know, the psalm, 
The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But when you read the Psalms, we understand that God intends to lead you in paths of righteousness through spiritual fathers that he puts over your life. But when we blame, and we have offense, and we like to sit here and say, you know what, God? Your choice was not wise enough. If you had put over me a wiser leader, if you had put over me someone else that I connected with, if you put over me someone else, then it would be easier to obey. But that's not how God operates. Because God doesn't want you to be just a flash in the pan. He wants your life to be defined by wisdom. And wisdom, what that really means in the Jewish context, is how to live well. So he puts leaders over you that will tell you, hey, you know what? When all your friends are saying, hey, check it out. Oh, I'm so sorry that happened. You're so special. You're so awesome. You're so... He'll put a leader over you that says, hey, get out of that pity party. Rise up. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Do you know who you really are? Oh, why is this leader so harsh to me? No, they're not harsh. They're telling you who you really are. Or when we're walking around puffed up, God will put a leader over us that will say, hey, humble yourself. The first time I came back to New Philly after I was in the States, as I was in the States, I came back to New Philly, and I remember... I wanted to be on the praise team because I like the sound of my own voice. And I wanted to be on the praise team. And I remember I went up to Pastor Christian. The whole reason, the only reason I came back to Korea is because I wanted to serve under Pastor Christian. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know how it was going to work out. I just knew God Because at the ministry I was at, they started opening up all these speaking opportunities, all these different things for me. And I just heard the Lord whispering, do not raise up a young man too quickly. He will get caught. He will fall. And I felt God saying, Marcus, you know what? You need covering. And so I called up Pastor Christian, who's the lead pastor of our church. And I said, hey, PC, I feel like God's calling me to come back to Korea. And in his wisdom, he's like, really? All right, we'll see. (laughs) Pray about it. And so we begin to pray about it more and more, and then God opened the door for me to come. But the only reason I came was so I could serve under him. Many of us, we think that God's calling us to a vision, when really he's calling us to a person. Some of you would think, oh, that's prideful. The religious spirit would say that's prideful. No, what you're saying is false humility. Because God uses men and women. To, to enact his plans and purposes on the earth. But I remember I came back and I was like, hey, check it out. I can sing. <laughs> you know, I got my little, you know, hey, I got my little R&B thing going on. I can sing. Yeah, let me... Let- let me be on praise team. I know you got a spot for me. We need some... I was like, we need some diversity up there. Let me get up there. And he was like... He's like, oh, okay. Oh, you, you want to be on praise team? <laughs> he literally laughed in my face. And he's like, hey, go to the back. Serve on tech team. Get really good at pressing a button. <sighs> what about my dreams to be an all-world worship leader? What about all the plans that I've made for myself because I am Lord over my own life and because I shepherd me and I use and I'm just going to give you what I think. And I just want your your stamp of approval. I don't want your input. I don't want your wisdom. (laughs) That's not why you came back. You came back to serve. So go to the back and serve. I did that for three years. But as I did that, God began to open up doors of wisdom and favor and blessing in my life. 
that I could have never imagined. All because I wasn't seeking to be my own leader, my own shepherd, and I wasn't surrounding myself with people that I'm choosing for myself to speak into my life because I can't fathom hearing the word no. And all of a sudden, what God began to do is he began to increase more and more wisdom in my life. For me to lead this campus as your campus pastor, it, it blows my mind. So many people come up to me and they say, oh, you're a pastor. How big is the congregation? Oh, well, you're really young. Oh, you're married? No. Oh, wow. You go to a different church. But we don't look as man looks. And we don't, we don't want to walk by the flesh. We want to walk by the spirit. But all that happens is you learn to let go of this orphan spirit and to open up your heart to the spirit of adoption as a son. To recognize, hey, you know what? I'm a son. God cares for me and he's put people of my life who care for me. And as an, as a son, I don't choose my father. But I rejoice in the fathers that God has put over my life. If you want breakthrough in this year of wisdom, God's going to open up doors for many of you. I, I know it. He's going to put you at places in your life where you're going to need wisdom unlike never before. There's going to be radical changes that are going to take place in your life, in your career, in your family. It's going to take place in your spiritual walk. There's big things that God has for you. But it does not happen when you try to be your own shepherd. It's going to be in that place where your heart's going to need to already be open to your leaders and to the spiritual authorities of your life to say, you know what? Whatever you have to say, I'm ready. Because I know that God's going to move and he's going to give me wisdom. Let's pray together.